We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The moment a player steps on the field for their country, he or she joins a special and elite club. But when your time on the field is over, it's over. It is beautifully fleeting. So enjoy it while it's here. A national team will produce legends who occupy a special place in our hearts and minds. And it's natural to want to celebrate those legends. Wayne Rooney is one such legend. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about Wayne Rooney's charity. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you today, Mossy? I am good, wearing a Bayern Munich jersey. We're going to talk about their classicer later on. When I started doing Bundesliga this year, uh, I have uh, the great Kate Abdo, who speaks, at this point, I think 17 different languages uh, and, and various dialects within those languages, teach me some uh, German words here and there. I took German when I was in sixth grade, I think. Uh, the only thing I learned was, uh, which means, I'm sorry I'm late, uh, or something like that. And then I, I was able to conjugate, ich du erziest wir erzizi. That was all I learned. So she taught me the word krisa, which means crisis. Uh, so when Bayern Munich started to go through these uh, problems, and then we thought over the last couple of weeks kind of came out of it, I kept uh, texting her, krisa, krisa. And then this weekend, after the, uh, the loss in the classic car, what is that what we're calling it? The classic car? Amazing things. I think that this is a Krisa unlike the Krisa from last uh, year. This is a problem for Bayern Munich right now. No press conferences to be, uh, to be seen yet, but behind closed doors, I'm wondering what people are saying. Now, one non-soccer related note, you told me you did finally see Bohemian Rhapsody. I did. I saw it. My wife and I went in the middle of the day, something that I and we have not done in, in years. I was... Pleasantly surprised. I was not overwhelmed. I don't know about you, but the prosthetic that the lead actor uses to accentuate uh, Freddie Mercury's jawline and protruding teeth and upper mandible, I guess it would be, was incredibly distracting to me through the movie. And I, I never, watching Queen, it, it never, in the real version, watching Freddie Mercury, his facial construction 
was never an impediment to me or, or anything that I even recognized. It didn't even register until this movie where they made such a big deal about it. I agree. Uh, now, I didn't know much about Freddie Mercury beforehand, so watching the movie, it didn't seem strange. But then when I went back and watched, looked at pictures of him, <laughs> they did overdo it, yeah. And it was about Freddie Mer Mercury, let's be honest. I mean, the, the Queen music is what drives this along. I don't know. Do you think he'll get the, the lead actor? And I can't remember his name, but do you think he'll get uh, uh, an uh, Oscar nomination? Uh, he will be nominated. Really? Yeah. You think? Yeah. That's good. I, he, did, he did a really good job. Um, I think he, if without him, then it's just a after-school special or uh, um, any of these other rock movies that I will watch. Uh, but it, it also lived up in, I think last week we talked about how it wasn't made for the nerdy music people and certainly the nerdy queen people in terms of chronological order and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there was plenty of dramatic license that was taken, as it should be. It was made to get as many people into the tent because they know the nerds and the music people like myself are, are going to go no matter what, which we did and so many other people did. Still, I, I left there uh, not feeling that I had wasted my money, but I also didn't leave there thinking that I had, I had seen one of the greatest rockumentaries ever made. There are plenty of others that are, uh, uh, that are much better. Did you see anything else this week? I saw The Front Runner, which is... Uh no about the Gary Hart scandal. Oh, uh, really? Gary Hart was the frontrunner yeah, for the Democratic nomination in 1988 and involved in a scandal. He had an sure. affair with a woman named Donna Rice. Yes. And it's an important uh, episode because a lot of people point to it as a turning point in how uh, politics was covered. And uh, before that, politicians' personal lives yep. uh, didn't matter. And then after that scandal, what's fair, now what's it's, not. Exactly. And Is so, this a documentary or a movie? It's a movie. There was a, a, a book written about this okay. a few years ago, and, and the movie is essentially based on the book. Oh, and I like it's, it. uh, like again, it. similar to um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I'd say good, not great. Okay. It was solid. Uh, right. Didn't feel like I wasted my money, but it wasn't a great movie. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, in terms of wasting people's money and time, let's get on with the show here. Uh, you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right, off we go. As always, we start each and every week with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And it goes a little something like this. Playing for a national team is a privilege, not a right. The moment a player steps on the field for their country, he or she joins a special and elite club. And the title bestowed makes no distinction between players with one international appearance or a hundred international appearances. You are simply an international. But when your time on the field is over, it's over. You're a temporary keeper of the flame, and you never know when it's going to end. But whenever that moment does come, you pass the baton and you make way for others. I find it romantic. This ephemeral state of being. No one is promised another game. You may never be here again. And we may never see this again. It is beautifully fleeting. So enjoy it while it's here. A national team will produce legends who occupy a special place in our hearts and minds. And it's natural to want to celebrate those legends. Wayne Rooney is one such legend. He and his charity will be honored next week in London when the U.S. plays England. Rooney will step on the field as a substitute and get his 120th international appearance. His last appearance for England was two years ago, and so everybody recognizes this is ceremonial. Yes, a part of me feels it does dilute and devalue the international appearance. And yes, it does fly in the face of my romantic notion of what it means to appear for one's country. Or maybe it's just a nice way to say goodbye and thank you. One reserved for a legend. But when it comes to that special and elite club of players who have represented their country, Wayne Rooney is no more or less important than Bill Nicholson, who in 1951 stepped on the field against Portugal 
scored a goal with his first touch and never played for England again. Now that's romantic. All right, Mossy, we've talked about this in the past. What say you with regards to Wayne Rooney getting this uh, bit of charity in terms of an international appearance just because of who he is and what he has done? Look, I don't have a big issue with it, but I just think this has been handled so poorly. Either you fundamentally believe in farewell games or you don't. And if you do, just own it and make this whole occasion about Wayne Rooney. And if you don't, then he shouldn't play. You can have a ceremony before the game where you bring him out, give him a plaque or something. But they're trying to split the difference. Gareth Southgate is going to great lengths to convince you, no, this is a real important game. We're using it to prepare for. They have a big UEFA Nations League match against Croatia a few days later. So he's trying to stress the importance of that. But then he's also saying, but I am going to play Wayne Rooney a few minutes in the second half at some point to honor him. So that feels weirder to me than anything else. Now he's got to come up with like a respect number of minutes that isn't insulting to Wayne Rooney and to the people that paid money to go see Wayne Rooney, but it can't be too many minutes that it disrupts what else he's trying to accomplish in this match. Also, there's this whole question about what jersey number he's going to wear. There were reports he was going to wear the number 10, and then Southgate said, well, no, if he doesn't start, he can't wear the number 10. Then there were reports that when he came on, he was going to be given the captain's armband, and Southgate said, well, not necessarily. Depends who's on the field and what the situation is. We'll kind of feel it out. So this whole thing's been turned very messy. I don't know. It should have been better thought out and organized. And, and I want I want to be very, very clear. This has nothing to do whether I think that Wayne Rooney is a legend. He is a legend. I have often said, I remember being uh, on uh, plenty of shows during World Cups in the past where England was playing and, Eng- and Wayne Rooney was part of the team saying he is not just one, but I think the only world-class player that England had. He deserves to be fed. He deserves to be celebrated for days on end. And you can do that. I do think you can actually split the baby here, Mossy. I think that you can bring him in, like you said, and make a big deal about it. Hell, uh, put... You know, put him on your shoulders and walk him out to the center of the field <laughs> at halftime of the game. Do whatever you need to do. But it gets back to this whole point of what is an international. And the reason why I brought up an example in my State of the Union of someone is that that is important to me. And it, there is a difference between a club team and a national team. Representing your country, I make a distinction. It is a very, very different thing in terms of how I look at it, in terms of how I value it. It doesn't mean that representing a club can't be incredibly emotional and lifelong and passionate for, uh, for the, those players that do. But I, as I said in my State of the Union, the romance of being able to look at somebody, and while well, we don't have a handshake, the, the reality is, is that you have done something that I have done and that very few people get the opportunity and the privilege to do. It's almost, it's almost as if saying, oh, I don't know, that somebody who has an American passport and is an American citizen who wasn't born here, doesn't grow up here, is any less American than somebody who grew up here uh, and was born here who has an American passport. And it, I know there's there's a, a national type of um, element that I'm that I'm tapping into here because I do think it is important, and I do think that it does cheapen it. And, and look, this is going to come this is going to come and go. But as you mentioned, I think you do have to take a stand as to how you go forward. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what type of a legend that you are. Ultimately, everybody is tr- treated equal when all is said and done with regards to giving that incredible privilege, that moment of stepping on the field. And I always loved the part of international soccer where it said the moment you step on the field, even if you suck, even if you only step on the field for 30 seconds, you are forever an international. And I love that about the history, 
and the ceremony of what being an international is. And this, this violates it in my mind. It's funny. You mentioned the charity. Even that has gotten a little bit weird because initially this game was going to be all about Wayne Rooney's charity and they were going to donate the gate receipts to it. And now the FA has come out and said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We'll promote his charity and we'll pass out buckets during the game if people want to donate money to it. But uh, we're not going to donate any of the gate receipts because we need that money to fund our grassroots programs to grow the game in England. So even that whole charity aspect of it has gotten a little bit confusing and weird and wasn't entirely well thought out. So uh, this whole thing is turned into a bigger controversy than it needed to is be. There, is there somebody, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I know who you, you will mention, but is there somebody on the Brazil national team history that you think supersedes this and regardless would be entitled to something? Because there is an element of entitlement that, that, and differentiation between players for what they have done or what they haven't done. Yeah, obviously somebody like Pele you could honor. But but actually, let me use that question as a jumping off point to make a to say something about Rooney, which might be somewhat controversial. I uh -oh. actually uh -oh. I actually good tease. I actually don't think he had a great England career. That the numbers look nice. He's their all-time caps leader among outfield players. He's their all-time leading scorer. But you know, to borrow a, a phrase from our former Fox Sports colleague Mike Francesa, he's a bit of a compiler. It was a goal here, a goal there. It added up to a nice total. But I swear to God, of his 53 goals, I feel like 50 were against San Marino. And outside of that great Euro 2004 when he was a teenager, he never played well in another major tournament. And I think that's part of this too. England go go out. They had that generation with Rooney and Gerrard and Lampard that seemed to always underachieve. And then without those guys, they had a great World Cup this past summer. And I feel like England fans sort of want to move on and they're not looking to like celebrate the good old days, which weren't that good. And, and now it's about Harry Kane and Sterling and Rashford and Deli Ali and Sancho. And they're excited about this team. And so, I don't know, honoring Wayne Rooney right now feels a little bit weird to me. So you think that my assertion that he is one, and, and in my, my assertion that he's the only world-class player that England has had over the recent years is much more due to the fact that it was just a gulf in talent and problems and lack of depth when, when it comes no, no, to the no. quality around him? No, you, I think you was, have to name somebody who's better. No, no, I think it was more based on his club career. I think okay, he, is a, he is a world-class player, then, had an incredible club career. name me somebody career. in this generation that he played on that would deserve this honor more. Is it, a, is it Gerard? Nobody, nobody. If, if you're going to pick a player okay. from the last so 10, the 15 years. he's the best of yes. a mediocre group is what you're saying. Best of an underperforming group. I mean, those, those were great players at club level, but I don't think they ever, it ever translated to England as much as it should have. Fair enough. And so, wait, I, I want to make sure that I understand this right about the, the charity <laughs> aspect of it. Because I remember when I was writing this, I needed to put in the, the charity. And when I say charity, I mean his actual charity, not that this is charity to give somebody. Both of those apply, but I want to differentiate and make sure people understand that he has a charitable uh, uh, he has a foundation, I'm sure, and a charity that he that he that bears his name, and they are doing it. They wanted to do it in cooperation with that. And you're saying now that the FA has said that's all fine and well, but we're not taking the gate and giving it to his charity or anything. Exactly. Like that. We'll promote your charity like in and around promoting this game, and like I said, we're going to pass out buckets during the game if people want to donate money to it. But the actual gate receipts are not going to go to his charity. Instead, like I said, they're going to go to like funding the grassroots programs that the FA have to grow See, the game that, in England. That's where that that. That's disappointing to me because <laughs> that was the one part that I could get along. I right? just said, you know, I'm not going to. Well, so first off, we're not hammering Wayne Rooney. I mean, if Wayne Rooney had any kind of, uh, you know, feeling that this was not going to be something he wanted to be a part of, he wouldn't be doing it, but he's going to be doing it. And the fact that there was this charitable element to it made me take a step back and say, all right, fine. I may not like it, but if it's going to help people, that uh, that's okay. But I do think that you have to kind of, 
stand on principle when it comes to if you're going to do it for him now, who else are you going to do? Is this Gerard going to get, get something like this? Is who's a, who's a left back for the Galaxy? Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole. I mean, these types of players. It's become enough of a controversy that apparently Rooney's going to have some sort of press conference before this game to clarify what number he's going to wear, the whole captain's armband thing, how many minutes he's going to play, the whole charity aspect of it. So there's all these questions swirling around it. They felt the need to put Wayne Rooney in front of the camera and have him explain it. And presumably he's going to come out and say, look, I'm happy to play any minutes in this game. I don't care what jersey I wear. I don't need to be handed the captain's armband. I think he's going to try to defuse all this and take any pressure off of Southgate. I, I, I remember when Landon Donovan went through the whole craziness with Jurgen Klinsmann and being left off of 2014 and everything. And then there was this awkward moment where he came back and he was there and they had this, the, the hug and the handshake. It, it, it just, it, 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 it felt forced at that moment. And, and once again, I, I recognize that those in charge at times are put in this awkward position of if we don't do anything, then it makes it look like we don't appreciate and we're not celebrating what this person did, which is undeniable, uh, whether it's a Rain Rooney uh, or, a, or a Landon Donovan. But the other part of it, and, and, and I said it in my State of the Union, you are temporary. And I love that part of it in that at some point they're going to take it away. And, and it, it, it ends early for a lot of players. It ends at a time when they are least ex- when they least expect it. I played my last game. In, look, I'm not comparing myself to Wayne Rudy or or uh, or Landon Donovan thing, but I played my last game in 1998. Uh, obviously, the debacle in that summer did not paint us all in a, in uh, in great light, and I never played again. And it wasn't because I never wanted to play again. I came back and played, uh, but that that ship had sailed. And sometimes it sails in the middle of the night when you're asleep and you wake up. And you don't have a ride, I, but I I like that about the national team, and I don't I don't need to to revisit and re and, and celebrate these legends. They're going to be lo- legends uh, legends no matter what. Is there anybody besides Landon Donovan uh, in the American past you think would deserve this type of thing? Clint Dempsey, you think? I'm not even sure Clint would pick up the phone. By the way, even if they wanted to do something like this. Yeah, Donovan and Dempsey would be the big two, certainly. Now, let's talk about this game for one second. Uh, You played for the U.S. against England at Wembley in 1994, famously called Alan Shearer overrated before the game. He went out, scored two (laughs) goals, made you look ridiculous. I got booed every single time I touched the ball, but I was playing in Wembley. It all goes back, by the way, Wembley. So I'm sitting in there in the location that was Live Aid. So for me, it was walking into the stadium was incredible. Great thing. You learned your lesson that day and never again made any bombastic remarks. (laughs) Uh, but so we've talked about how the U.S. not having a coach has sort of diminished these friendlies. Is this an exception? Is it so cool to have the U.S. play against England at Wembley that this is one that you'll be juiced for and you'll be curious to see how guys like Pulisic and McKinney handle it? No, I, it, it, playing these games is great. We, I, I've never said that playing these games isn't great, especially when you're playing against the elites. When we're talking about this national team, the reason why there is so much angst and consternation out there is that we don't want to qualify for a World Cup. That's that's to be expected. We want to compete with the elites. So the more games we get to test ourselves on the elites of the world, the better off we're going to be. So when you're playing a team like England, when you're playing a team like Italy, it's good no matter what, no matter who is the coach. But once again, if that person, whoever that person is, he or she comes in and has a completely different idea about either the way we're going to play or the people that are going to be involved, then all of this knowledge and experience that has been amassed against some very good quality competition goes out the window. 
I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I am excited about these things, and you can certainly watch both of these games. The U.S.-England is on ESPN, and the U.S.-Italy, uh, we are broadcasting on FS1. So, you know, once again, we'll take a look at these players, including, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, a Christian Pulisic, who has been called in, but we know he has not played a lot for the national team. But to have a lot of these players together will be interesting to see, right? And Pulisic will be rested because he didn't play at all. Oh, in the classic look herbal. at you. Look <laughs> at you. Uh, it's not, there's not a whole lot of surprises when it comes to the uh, the list that I guess now Dave Sarikin, although we are taping this on a, nobody tapes anything, so we're recording this on a Monday, uh, and uh, the Columbus crew led by Greg Berhalter has bombed out spectacularly uh, against the New York Red Bulls, so... Uh, Greg Berhalter, if he is going to be the coach, conceivably could be named uh, by the time you're listening to this. Maybe not. Who knows? Uh, I guess he could be coaching these teams or be involved or be in the stands or something like that uh, going forward. So I don't know who's who's ultimately naming these things, but not a lot of, uh, of surprises. Although Jonathan Klinsman, we hear, has been a replacement goalkeeper coming in to camp. This is a, a goalkeeper who has starred for our youth programs but is yet to really make any type of dent when it comes to professionally with uh, Hertha over in uh, Germany right now. So that's a, a little bit interesting in terms of that call up right there. As we mentioned, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, those types of players, Tyler Adams, who continues to uh, move on in the playoffs with uh, the Red Bulls. So a lot of these players that we've talked about will actually get to see them playing together for maybe what will be the first time. I'm kind of, hopefully it all comes to fruition. Josh Sargent got called in, Bobby Wood. Still a little anemic when it comes to the scoring goals department, and we know Josie Altador will, is waiting in the wings, but uh, he's been uh, injured and he had some uh, surgery. So, But I think he will be involved uh, going forward. But still an interesting set of games here for this team that is still leaderless when it comes uh, to a permanent uh, head coach. Anything else, Mossy, about this? That's it. All right. Either way, we're going to watch. We're going to watch the U.S. play against England. Uh, we will look for that moment with uh, Wayne Rooney coming on and being given the gift, the spectacular and unique gift that uh, most other players will never, ever be afforded. But maybe that's just representative of how iconic and important and legendary he is. And then the U.S.-Italy game, which is being played in Belgium, uh, a neutral site, and uh, you can catch that on uh, FS1. All right. Moving on. Hey there, it's Alexi Lawless. More of the State of the Union podcast on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, Copa Libertadores, MLS, international friendlies, and more. All on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free. And you can cancel it anytime. So check out FoxSoccerMatchPass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy Makes the Case. Yes, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case, that point in the podcast where David Mossy picks something out of the ether and screams and yells about it. What are you uh, screaming and yelling about this week, Mossy? My case is that England, which is located on the island of Great Britain, is increasingly <laughs> on an island when it comes to VAR. Ooh, good lead. I don't know if you remember this, but in the first Premier League round of the season, Liverpool defeated West Ham 4-0, two of the goals courtesy of Sadio Mane, including one that was scored from a blatantly offside position. Because Liverpool were going to win the game anyway, nobody made too big a deal out of it, but I said to you in our next podcast, what if that play occurred in the last round of the season and decided the title? 
Well, last week, another English club was the beneficiary of an incredibly bad call in the Champions League. Manchester City were awarded a penalty against Shakhtar after Raheem Sterling kicked the ground and fell on his own. <laughs> Again, City won 6-0, so no big deal. But lots of people said, boy, what if that happens in the 90th minute of the final this season and decides the winner? To their credit... UEFA are taking steps to ensure that doesn't happen. Uh, they were already planning to introduce VAR next season, but now they're strongly considering moving that timeline up and introducing it in the knockout stages this season. There's a meeting December 3rd in Dublin where they're going to decide that. So uh, to recap, we just had a World Cup with VAR. Four of the top five leagues in Europe have it this season, and now the Champions League could have it this season. So that would just leave the Premier League without it. But I think it's coming there too. I think this Raheem Sterling play was a tipping point. The fact that the Champions League are adding it is really going to resonate. I really think the debate over VAR is over. This is a train that's moving too fast, and anybody that doesn't have it is going to look completely ridiculous. And Looking ridiculous is, I think, what many of these entities were trying to avoid. And I, I, well, I think this summer, the World Cup, because it went so well, and we, we talked about this on the pod and we talked about it leading up to the World Cup, that we thought one of the major players and one of the major stories was going to be VAR. Now, it was, but in a very different way, in that it went as smoothly as it could possibly go. They spent money, they had resources on it, and I, I can't remember a major gaffe or catastrophe or you know, talking point from a negative perspective when it comes to VAR. And so everybody saw, well, the world saw how VAR can work and how it can work perfectly. It's funny. That's how I saw it, and I think that's how the rest of the world saw it, but not in England. If you read articles about VR, they referred to it at the World Cup as having been a real mixed bag and a major source really? of controversy. And so, yeah, I mean, I was, frankly, I've always been a proponent of video replay, but I was alarmed when it was first introduced because I think there were a lot of issues, and I started to second-guess myself. And the World Cup actually is what finally sold me on it because I thought it went so well there. But in England, apparently, they, they, they thought completely differently about it. And, and the problem was that whether it was the EPL or is the EPL and Champions League, they took this hands-off approach and we're going to step back. We're going to be above the fray. We're going to let all the, uh, the peons out there uh, figure this out. And then we're going to come in when it's been adjusted and tweaked to a level where it, it, it's befitting us. And I get that. There's times where taking a step back and sitting one out is actually beneficial and you end up looking better. It's not the case now because what they've done is they have missed out and they only look naive and they only look backwards in terms of uh, the way that they're not the world views them, but also their own fans view them right now. And so now it's it's this catch up thing, but they also have to kind of save face. So as opposed to, you know, just flipping a switch, which you certainly can't do, but because it's gone well, because so many other people are using it, I I, I think it's. It's going to be not a black eye, but it's certainly going to be looked at as looked at as while it might have been prudent uh, for these big big entities to take a step back at the moment, they look regressive and they look ancient in the way that things are going right. Yeah, now. to be fair, the clubs voted against it this season, but uh, they are having trials for it during Premier League games. They're using the League Cup games. They're going to use it in some FA Cup matches. And the FA is convinced that they're going to be able to demonstrate next summer to the clubs that now that uh, the referees have had more practice with it, it's going to go smoother. And so they think it's going to be voted in next season, but there's no guarantee. And you know, for this season, you can just see the contrast every weekend. Uh, we did a game yesterday, uh, Leipzig-Leverkusen. Leipzig score a goal. Yusuf Polson, it gets waved off for offsides. It clearly wasn't offsides. They they corrected it right away just yeah. in a matter of seconds, and the game goes on without a, a team being denied a perfectly good goal. 
AC Milan Juventus. We're going to talk about more about that game later, but a blatant handball in the box, Benatia, which the referee didn't spot, but uh, quickly he got buzzed down. They told him it was a handball, so AC Milan won a penalty, which Iguain missed, but still, if they hadn't been awarded that penalty, that would have been a huge talking point afterwards. AC Milan would have felt like they got cheated. Instead, it diffuses any controversy from that game, and then you look at the Premier League, Southampton against Watford. They get denied a perfectly good goal, Charlie Austin, for a wrong offsides call. There's no recourse to, to correct that, and Mark Hughes came out after the game and said, we're in the dark ages right now, not having VAR. And so, I mean, every week you can see the contrast between having it and not having it. It's something that we've, covering the Bundesliga, have grown so used to. It's not an issue anymore. We haven't had, we're 11 rounds into the seat. We haven't had one conversation about it, one major controversy. It's run smoothly every week. So there's really not much of an issue anymore. And, and the negatives are, are so minimal compared to the positives. Because you mentioned the EPL. It should be mentioned. Uh, who did Liverpool play this weekend? Uh, Fulham. Fulham. So Fulham scores a goal. There's no VAR, right? It is called an offside, and but it's 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 one that would have been looked at and reviewed. And for in order to do that, you still have to take a certain amount of time. Liverpool puts the ball down immediately and plays the other way. Counterattack. I think Mosala scores a goal. Now, in a VAR age, that would have been stopped. That counterattack and therefore that goal, which was all completely legitimate. Uh, when we when we saw all the replays, would have been stopped. It would have been looked at again. That's not a reason not to have VAR. Okay, VAR does so much more good than bad. Uh, and there will be moments. There will be moments where people will pine for the past. And some of the the gray areas that we talk about, where the game lives, and I think in a good way, is going to be taken out. But we've also found that with VAR, we're we're still talking about things. And we're, there are still controversies and there are still discussions uh, and debates, maybe in a different way. And then the other thing that we've seen with VAR is this secondary explosion and this drama that comes from <laughs> waiting for the decision. To, you, you mentioned Polson in, uh, in the Bundesliga. You saw him waiting for that confirmation. And when it comes, there's the initial celebration, then there's the recognition. It's like a play. It's, it's up, it's down, it's emotional. The initial celebration, then the tragedy. Oh, no, it's being reviewed. It could be possibly taken back. And then the final scene, the exaltation of it's there. And so it's added drama to a certain extent, a different type of drama, but it's added drama and theater uh, to what is already a game that is filled with that. I do want to address something, though. Our producer, Alex Dowd, is such a clown. So, um, <laughs> is that it? That's your, that's your yes. top take? <laughs> so, so he puts in the rundown, let's talk about how different Champions League history would have been if you had VAR. For example, and he's a big Chelsea fan, of course the, the, the two examples he brings up are examples where Chelsea of were victimized. Course. That famous semifinal against Barcelona in 2009 where they did get screwed of Vrebo, the, the game where Iniesta scored that late goal. But, I mean, Chelsea throughout that game had all these penalty shouts that should have been penalties. And then he brings up the Luis Garcia ghost goal for Liverpool in 2000. Those are the only two examples he could come up with <laughs> in the whole history of the Champions League. Uh, I'll give you a more recent example. Obviously, we talked about Raheem Sterling. Uh, Napoli PSG this last match day. Now, listen, nobody is going to feel sorry for PSG, especially given sure. what we found out right. about financial fair play in the last few days. But still, they did get completely screwed in this game. Uh, they drew 1-1. They were winning 1-0 in the second half, and Napoli got a penalty and equalized. And in the buildup to the penalty, there was a clear offsides. Uh, Kai 
Gijon. And then the other way, Juan Bernat got hacked down in the box right in front of the referee. He somehow missed it. It should have been a penalty. Neymar would have converted. They would have won 2-1. It could have changed the whole complexion of that group. Think about how much money that team has spent specifically to win the Champions League and the idea that they could get knocked out by a refereeing mistake. So, I mean, I, I just think, you know, that, that competition, the stakes are too high. You, you have to have it. And UEFA, to their credit, have seen the light. And so it, it's coming to the Champions League sooner than later. All right. Everybody's going to have it. Yeah. We're going to have it on all the sports fields. We'll probably have it in our life at different times. We'll be judged uh, in how we go about our daily life with VAR, and it will be reviewed and say, ah, no, you can't do that, right? I mean, it's all going to be uh, – we're going to have referees in life on and off the field, right? But it's, is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. All right, anything else before we go, Mossy? Uh, no, I got my Alex Dowd as a clown thing in, so we're, perfect, we can move on. Perfect. We can, we can stop the show now. <laughs> for those of you that want to stand up for Alex, please do so. All three of you. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi, that moment of the show where we answer some questions, comments, concerns that you have sent in on the old social media machine with the hashtag Ask Alexi. What do the people want to know this week, Mossy? And first up, at History Nerd 10, who's your favorite Mexican national team player? Ooh, favorite. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a two for one here. Uh, one current and then one historical. The current one would be Hector Herrera. What is he, 20, 20, late 20s, 28-year-old? What does he play for? Uh, Porto right now. I just think that he is a phenomenal player. At times, I think he's too good for Mexico. Uh, his ability to control the game, his ability to get out of pressure, his ability to be that timekeeper for uh, the Mexican national team is, uh, at this point, at this point, at least for me, a, a sight to behold and wonderful. So from a contemporary standpoint, Hector Herrera, and then from a historical perspective, I marked a lot of these players. So like a Carlos Hermosilla would be up there. Zague, Zaguinho, uh, left-footed, left-footed wonder down that left-hand side, just bombing up and down was so difficult. I never really marked him man-on-man. Man. He was always running at or being run after by Kobe Jones and, and the likes over there on the uh, side. But he was always just an antelope. He would gallop and the stride, He uh, kind of like Rude Gullit where he would cover so much space and just eat it up with each and every stride. But I, I like someone who changes the way the game is played and the way that we think about the game. And so my mind always comes back to someone like Jorge Campos. And I, I'm loath to give goalkeepers any type of acknowledgement or credit as uh, players or human beings. But in this case, I will do so because I think that he represented everything that I hold dear in that he understood that this was the entertainment business. And so the costume that he wore, the way that he handled himself on and off the field, the what some would say would be antics, I would say would be a, a performance and a dance in the way that he uh, played the game. His ability to go forward, his courageous nature in the way that he addressed <laughs> Uh, playing the game. All of that, I think, influenced, it certainly influenced me, but I think influenced a generation of not just goalkeepers, but players to say, you can try things. In the same way that we talk about Clint Dempsey, where uh, the Bruce Arena has, is, is legendary for saying he tries shit. You can bleep that out if you'd like. In the same way that a Jorge Campos did the same, he, he tried stuff, and stuff that you didn't believe could happen at that level. So, for me, I think it would be Jorge Campos when it comes to the historical perspective and then contemporary, as I said, uh, Hector Herrera. Next up, at 
LF Cuse. Who wins? U.S. Men's National Team 2009 versus U.S. Men's National Team 1994. In my opinion, our two best teams ever. Okay, so I think that at that point in 1994, uh, when it comes to the, the goalkeeping, I think that we would have the advantage in a Tony Miola, who I have said time and time again, stood on his head and I think was better with his feet, certainly, than at that point we had what, Tim Howard playing in goal. And I loved him, uh, and he certainly stood on his head plenty of times, not the least of which is in a historical game in, in the 2014 World Cup. But I, I think goalkeeping department, we would have been better. Defensively, so now you're talking about, so myself, Marcelo Balboa, a Fernando Clavijo, and probably a Paul Caligiuri in a back four-ish type of thing. And you're talking about a Carlos Bocanegra, a Gucci Onyewu, Oh, gosh, who would have been, uh, been playing? Or, or even a Jay Demerit in there. And then you're having, oh, gosh, who would be? A Bornstein. I think it's it's almost a wash, but I will give it to... I'll give it to them. I'll give it to them when it comes to defense. Midfielders, uh, you're talking about a Tab Ramos. Uh, you're talking about a John Harks. Uh, these types of players. I, I still think that we would we would occupy the midfield better because I think we would have better players in terms of keeping possession of the ball and beating players one-on-one. -on -one. And then up top, I think that the uh, the 2009 team, because you're talking about a in-prime and a pre-injured Charlie Davies, and that was a team that was flying uh, up top with Josie and, and Charlie Davies up top, uh, and plenty of other talent. Oh, DeMarcus Beasley. I mentioned DeMarcus Beasley on that thing. So I think it would be close. I would probably give them the slight edge. But... Set pieces, I think that we would have been better, uh, not just in terms of corner kicks and, and into the mixer type of stuff, but Eric Winaldo, we know, also uh, with those set pieces. And just to give some context, the 2009 team he's alluding to is the one that got to the final of the Confederations Cup. Yes. They beat Spain beat in Spain. the semis and were 2-0 up on Brazil in the final, and Brazil came back and won 3-2. I think you have to throw the 2002 team into that equation, the one that got to the quarterfinals sure. of the World Cup and had a young Donovan and Beasley and McBride and John O'Brien in the midfield and Frito. I would and say that the 2002 team is better than both of those teams that he, he yeah, mentioned, I mean, too. So, I mean, I, I don't know if I agree with the premise of the of the well, history nerd. Don't, don't be mean to him. I mean, oh, no, I'm don't. sorry. That was uh, LFQs. A history nerd was the Mexico question. Okay, yeah, this is LFQs. We're not being mean to Mr. LFQs. Finally, at Halber underscore Alex, um, which team loses first in the Premier League, Liverpool, Chelsea, or Manchester City? All three unbeaten so far. Uh, and all three playing away, home, away. So City plays West Ham, then uh, Bournemouth, I think, and then Watford. West Ham away and Watford away. So I don't see them losing any of those three games. Uh, Liverpool away at Watford, then home against Everton, and then away against Burnley. And then Chelsea is away at Tottenham, home at Fulham, and away at Wolves. So... I think everybody would, would look to Chelsea playing away at Tottenham as that's where the hiccup's going to come. I, I'm just I'm just I'm just not yet fully sold that Liverpool doesn't have a a you know what the bed moment coming up. Problem is, is they're playing at Watford. Everton Everton's playing much better. We know they well, speaking of Chelsea, they got a point against Chelsea this weekend. So I am going to hot take, hot take alert. Liverpool will be the first team to lose a game of these three. 
Uh, I'm going to make this point here because when we talk City United, I think we're going to focus more on United. But Rory Smith, who's a writer for the New York Times, who I love, wrote Very a great writer. column today about this. It's something people have been talking about the last two weeks. Is City being so good has sort of changed the equation, the way you analyze different results and, and different teams. Uh, Liverpool last weekend were away to a very good in-form Arsenal side, and they came away with a 1-1 draw, which under normal circumstances is a good result for Liverpool. But because they're competing against the greatest team in Premier League history, any points dropped feel costly. And you look at Chelsea against Everton this past week, and you feel the same way. And so it's amazing how uh, City being so good has put all this pressure on these other teams. You feel like you can't slip up at all. Any slip up throughout the season is incredibly costly. But also, people have, sp- have flipped it the other way. If Liverpool or Tottenham, let's say, put up a points number that in normal seasons would have won the Premier League, but they lose out to City because City have some crazy number again, 100 points. There's an argument that you can't really criticize Klopp and Pochettino for not winning anything because it's not their fault. They just caught a bad time when they're going up against this legendary team. Do you buy that at all? Uh, this gets gets to another point. Uh, I, I buy it to a certain extent, but what my argument would be if I was them, we're not really competing against Manchester City because they cheated. Dun, dun, dun. If the financial fair play turns out to be true, and this is a team that has been built on spending more money than anybody else, and it, we come to find out that in doing so, they violated the, the, uh, the laws, not laws in terms of going to jail, but the laws of the game that the way they were playing, and they wouldn't have necessarily violated EPL laws, though, right? It, was, it would be more UEFA type of things, right? Right. I don't know. I mean, if they are found to, ha- it, is it not ill-gotten gains what they what they <laughs> what they have done? I don't know. I think that's probably a longer conversation and and maybe a segment uh, for the uh, for the future. But I I will say that you know Rory is definitely right in that they have changed the conversation because they have been so dominant and so good and in the way that they play they have fundamentally changed the way we, we even think about the EPL in terms of how teams play and that's all to the genius of Pep and maybe a whole lot of money that we know about and probably money that we uh, that we don't know about so they can scream and yell about that but this is this is the new EPL so either compete or <laughs> goodbye Anything else? That's it. All right. Thank you. Uh, send that. Uh, send those questions uh, on social media. Like we said, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere else uh, with that Ask Alexi hashtag. And uh, maybe Moss will read one of your comments or questions in a future episode of the State of the Union. All right. Moving on. The Back Three. All right. Time for the Back Three. Uh, we look at some of the biggest stories, games, moments. Mossy, what do we got? All right, we're going to start with a European weekend review. There were lots of big games oh my uh, this weekend. We'll try to hit as many of them as we can. We'll start with their classic, which we had on our air. Dortmund beat Bayern 3-2. It's a measure of how much better Dortmund are than Bayern right now that they can afford to give away a whole half and still beat them. Because to me, that's essentially what happened. Lucien Favre overthought it. He got the starting lineup completely wrong. Starting Julian Weigel, who has barely played this season, was, was weird. He was clearly off the pace. Starting Mario Götze as a false nine didn't make any sense. He looked lost up there. Bayern completely dominated the first 25, 30 minutes of this game. They were up 1-0. They could have been up by more. And then I thought this was key. Bayern, the last part of the first half, strangely took their foot off the gas and kind of let Dortmund 
off the hook. And when you got to halftime only 1-0, I thought, you know what? That could have been worse for Dortmund. And now if Favre makes the necessary adjustments and substitutions, they could win this game. And sure enough, he did. He brought on Dahoud for Weigel at the half. He brought on Alcacer for Goetze early in the second half. They had a great second half. They scored three goals. They won 3-2. So what did you make of all that? All I kept thinking of was your hot take that you did not think that Niko Kovac was going to make it to the end of the year. And then I kept thinking about, and I, I know we joke about the press conference, and that's where I think Bayern Munich jumped the shark. And I think right now, when I look at what Bayern Munich was a year ago when they went through their, their troubles, shall we say, it felt different. It looked different and it felt different. Yes, they were struggling and yes, they, they, they made a coaching change and recognized that this is not good enough. But I, I feel like they are being maybe not obstinate, maybe smart ultimately, but they have been also very public now saying we're, we're continuing on here. We're not doing anything in the January window. We're not panicking. We are Bayern Munich. We believe in Niko Kovac. We're going, we're going forward, which is a very different posture than they had a year ago. The problem is, is that I think that they're, they're posturing at a time when the product on the field last year just needed some tweaking here or there. I'm not sure that this product, regardless of what you do tweaking-wise, is going to come out of this on the other side. But they've proven me wrong in the past, and uh, there's certainly talent there, but it's that talent that's one year older, and something is really, really wrong and rotten in the state of Munich right now. They do have Alfonso Davies coming in in January. Yes, Maybe he that's can be true. The savior. I, yes, I had almost forgotten about that. So if there was ever a time for a savior to arrive, and, and, and they said they don't want to buy anything, I mean, you got, we were talking about it on our uh, coverage this weekend. You got a Christian Pulisic, who you mentioned very publicly uh, and called him out. Christian, his name is David Mossy, if you have a problem with him. That he's, he's not starting, he's not playing for Borussia Dortmund, but undeniable talent. And you got a guy like Leon Bailey, who's not playing and starting. If Bayern Munich just went and bought both of those two players in January, do you think that that would change their fortunes? Do you think that they would be any better? Or do you think it's something much deeper and much more problematic that regardless of who you buy isn't going to solve? No, I think those would be two fantastic signings that could definitely change their fortunes this season. Now, Pulisic, Defensively, they haven't been great. That's true. Now, and whether it's, uh, you know, Hummels and Boateng or Shula at different times, they've all made crucial and bad mistakes and uncharacteristic mistakes. Look, I love Manuel Neuer, but he is not <laughs> Manuel Neuer at this point. And he's there not was even a- Manuel. He's just... He's a half, whatever half. There was a play in that second half that really encapsulated like the difference between these two teams and, and the youth and, and the age uh, where Sancho just blew by Hummels yep. and then squared it across to Alcacer, who somehow managed not to score on that play. But still, that, that was a sad moment for Matt Hummels, who's had a great career. And he got taken off shortly thereafter. I think Nico Kovac was like, yeah, we got to put this guy out of his misery. <laughs> but uh, how concerned are you about Pulisic, the fact that he doesn't even get off the bench in a game like this? I feel like, am I concerned that he's not playing? Yeah, but... It- I would be much more concerned if the consensus was, oh, we got this one wrong. He's just not that good. I don't think that's the consensus at all from anybody. It's just for whatever reason, look, the team's doing well. And there might be players that are better than him, but it doesn't take away the fact that this guy is really, really good and would, would, be, would help any team that he went to. Uh, they're, just, they're in a wonderful position right now where they don't have to play him. And like you mentioned, Sancho has come on and proven that when you extrapolate out a substitute's role, it doesn't always work. He's proving that in this case, if you give him more, he can do even more as opposed to, well, if you give him a start, it's a very different type of mindset and it's a very different uh, proposition when it comes to a, a starter versus a guy coming off the bench. What else? What uh, other, next game, uh, City beat United 3-1. The third Manchester City goal 
was a goal for the ages. They, they, they passed the ball around for an eternity. It was 40-something passes, and then Gundogan finishes it off. But Let's talk cheaters, about, but they're cheaters, so, I mean, <laughs> right? Let's talk about uh, <laughs> Manchester United. Listen, I tweeted after the Juventus game, and I got United fans all unhappy with me. But look, they had a streak of good luck here recently, the Newcastle game, Bournemouth, sure. uh, Juventus. But when you're winning without playing well and you're not correcting the underlying issues, you're not really on, on solid ground. And the first negative result is going to bring all those questions back. And sure enough, they did. And Mourinho is having to answer questions today about, you know, where is this going? And is he really building anything there And United or are they on any sort of path to becoming United again and winning Premier League and Champions League titles? And so how do, how do you see all that? We're back to talking about Mourinho again and all these questions. Because nothing has really changed. You exactly. mentioned, I mean, the Juventus thing was such a, a weird anomaly. <laughs> and look, he'll take credit because he needed it. Yeah. And he'll look up to the soccer gods because they, they, they have such a wicked sense of humor <laughs> that they said, ah, let's do this. Let's throw Jose and, and see how this looks. And everybody kind of looked around and said, that should not have happened. And you play that game 100 times, it 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 doesn't happen. The problem from an EPL standpoint is that, and you mentioned the competition or lack of competition when teams are are measuring themselves up against Man City, is that it's not even, they, they didn't even look like they were in the same league, in the same stratosphere. And a lot of teams get embarrassed, but this is still Manchester United. And once again, and this has been multiple years now, we're saying, this is not what Manchester United is. It doesn't mean that Manchester United has to win every game and win the league every single year. But they have to look like they're in it. And they did not look like they were in it. There was no way that anybody looking at that game said, oh, yeah, they're going to come back. And I know, you know, Fellaini, and we'll talk about you know, that you can do that. But that's, there was, if, if I'm a Manchester United fan, supporter, it does not give me hope. Like you said, that anything is being built that I can rest rest on or that anything is necessarily going to change right now. They are just right now an average, what are they, in eighth place now in, yep. in the EPO? That's, that's not good regardless of how you're playing. But when you're not even on the field in terms of the competition, that's, that's a indictment. It's an indictment on what this club is right now, and ultimately it's an indictment on uh, Jose Mourinho. Yeah, we, we focus so much on results that consequently you hear people say a lot, oh, that goal saved the manager's job, that win saved the manager's job. And I think there are situations where a result going one way or the other can alter a whole dynamic, but this to me is not one of them. Like, there are larger questions to be asked here about Mourinho at United that, you know, Marcus Rashford bundling home a 92nd minute winner against Bournemouth or the Juventus game, which as you mentioned, they were played off the field for 80 something minute it should have been down three nil them somehow winning that game with two set piece goals at the end that's not going to fundamentally alter the dynamic there i mean there, there are much it larger be questions so hard. it shouldn't <laughs> be so hard for manchester united and yet it is on a consistent basis he, he has such a weird way of thinking about the game uh, he was asked afterwards morning about pogba being out and he said the issue with not having pogba is that he was forced to start fellaini and he would have rather had a fresh fellaini to bring on at the end and so his, the strategy for manchester united in these big games is to somehow keep it close and get it to a point at the end where they can bring on a fresh marijuana Fellaini and that that somehow is like well I'm, so I'm going to push back a little bit on that and maybe it's you know I, I love a long hair and I love a, a, a tall long hair but let's say that Marwan Fellaini was five foot six <laughs> speed demon all right he was a Michael Owen-esque type of figure you would have no problem at it with that okay. quote? No, with somebody making a substitute and recognizing that, hey, this is our spark plug. This is the person we put on that's going to change the game, that's going to run a defense, that's going to do all that kind of stuff. But because it's not, because, because, and this is what the point I'm making, is that playing in the air 
or playing rudimentary is looked at as a, a, a dirty word or a dirty <laughs> phrase, and it's not. I find incredible beauty in it, and I think that this constant uh, maligning of Marwan Fellaini for not who he is, but the player that he is, and the way that he plays, and then how that uh, how that encapsulates what Manchester United has become. I'm not sure I buy that, and I'm not sure that's fair. If the guy's a good substitute coming off the bench, it means when he comes off the bench, he or she makes an impact. That's what you want substitutes to do. Come <laughs> off the bench and make an impact. You just don't like the type of impact that they are making, and that makes you elitist. No, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. You know, you, you spend 100 million years on Paul Pogba. He misses the game. Mourinho could have said, yeah, it's a big loss on having Paul Pogba. But instead, he turns the question into <laughs> Fellaini. But all right, we'll move on. Marouane Fellaini can play on my team any day. There you all go. Right? God, they all count the same, whether they come off the head with a ball into the box or whether you dribble through 10 people and yeah. hit 20 passes. Next game, Juventus won 2-0 away to AC Milan. I like the way Ronaldo's playing this season better than in his last couple of years at Real Madrid. I think he was going the way of becoming just a goal scorer. The touches per game were way, were way down. The distance he covered, he was less involved, wasn't creating much on his own, was struggling to beat defenders one-on-one. And this season, he's having these like really good all-around performances where uh, the goals are just the icing on the cake. He scored a, another one this week, and he scored an unbelievable goal against Manchester United. Cool. But he also he just looks sprier and more explosive, and he's, he's beating defenders one-on-one again, and his passing has been top-notch this season. So I, I've been really impressed. He, he's adjusted his game yet again. He's recognized that at Juventus, he's not going to have quite the same service as he had at Real Madrid, and so he needs to be more involved and try to create things on his own, and he's doing it. So I've but, been very Impressed. Do you think that this is a third adjustment or is this a return? Because the whole point of the, the, the I guess it would be the first, well, it would be the second adjustment. So the first adjustment from what he was playing out wide, taking players on to a much more in the box, Fox type of adjustment, that, at least the way that it was positioned to me, was that it was an adjustment made relative to the fact that he was getting older and he couldn't do it physically anymore. Now, this adjustment, are you saying, is he going back to it and therefore that whole physical part was a bunch of BS? Yeah, it's yeah, I think so. He's going back to it. And it's Italian wine. It's yeah, Italian wine, some, Italian somehow he, his, he, looks, he looks fresher, he looks more explosive this season than he has the past couple of years. Yeah, I can't explain I mean, look, it, he but... is a physical specimen as he has <laughs> shown us each and every time. Yes. The whole thing with the, with the eight-pack, yeah. six-pack, whatever the hell it was. I mean, look, if you got him flaunt him. I don't know what it means. I don't know if there's a hidden meaning or something like that. Is I've been doing crunches or whatever. Look at me. Well, it's definitely look at me, which is fine. And I'd do the same thing if I had that type of pack. Now, Ronaldo's arrival this past summer pushed Iguain out the door because he couldn't afford his wages. So he begrudgingly went to AC Milan. And you could tell the, the, the frustration of having pushed out of Juventus, being pushed out of Juventus, really caught up with him this weekend. Milan won a penalty in the first half. Frank Kessie was going to take it. Iguain, like pushes him out of the way and says, no, I want it, ends up missing it. And then Ronaldo scores. And in the closing minutes, when it's clear that Juventus are going to win and they're leading 2-0, uh, Iguain committed a foul. He got a, a yellow card. And then he lost it. He started screaming in the referee's face, got another yellow card, got sent off. And the guy was like in tears and lost his mind. Even the Juventus players were trying to calm him down, his former teammates, and it was quite the scene. And I actually felt kind of bad for him because I felt like that was a frustration of an aging player that was in the perfect spot starting for Juventus 
And and now and look, I sent out a tweet that was a little bit dismissive of AC Milan. Look, they're a giant club, and I actually think they're on the right track again. They have the right people running that club. I think they have an excellent chance to finish in the top four this season. But it is a step down right now, going from Juventus to AC Milan, and he knows he's not going to win any major trophies there, in, at least in the foreseeable future. And so that was just all the frustration catching up with him of, of like the sadness of oh, I wish I was still on this team instead I'm on this one. And I mean, he just lost it. Well, I would love to see Iguain after he scores, if and when he scores again, if, if he ever scores again, to lift his shirt like, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> like Cristiano. And, and, you know, the thing is, <laughs> he misses a penalty. And this isn't totally fair because he's also scored a lot of big goals in his life. But it, it, Narrative. It, it, yeah, exactly. Everybody brought up all the big misses through the years and, oh, you can add this to the collection, you sure. know. And, and so like, that's just like a narrative about his career that he has to constantly fight that I'm sure drives him crazy. All right, let's move on because we've, we've kind of spent a lot of time on this. There's another big uh, matchup there right down in uh, South America. Did that happen? Or oh, wow. We're, we're, we're skipping Spain well, altogether. I mean, I there's a, a lot of other there. things here, but you know, people are on their run and they time it correctly in order to get in and out of their runs. Is this, we, is this like the Oscars? Am I getting played this, off? You're getting played off here. I mean, there's only so much that we can talk about. Well, right. Was there anything that you really wanted to hit in the other games? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to mention Betis beating Barcelona, uh, but tell you what, I'll, I'll tease it. I'll save it for next week. I have some thoughts on the Betis manager and, and why I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I, I have another man crush on a manager. Holy God, can you get in the weeds anymore? <laughs> All right. <laughs> people, All right. Are, people are finishing their run early right now. Okay, All go right. on. Go on. Right. Don't so, worry. It's going to get better, folks. Keep running. Right. So switching gears to South America, Boca Juniors River played the, the long-awaited uh, Copa Libertadores final. It actually, people had to wait another day because right. of weather. It was supposed to be on Saturday. It got rained out. They, they played it on Sunday. I have to say, I did not think this game was going to live up to the hype. People were building it up so much, but it was mainly centered on the history and the passion, very little about the actual two teams. And I feel like I felt like when we actually got to the game, it was going to be this tense, cagey, low-scoring affair, and the difference in quality between Europe and South America was going to be really evident, especially for people who watched Dortmund Bayern the day before, Manchester City, Manchester United that morning. I have to admit... Look, it's not as good. If you watch it with a trained eye, there's more long balls. The, the ball doesn't move around as crisply. Um, but the football was good enough, coupled with the atmosphere. And it actually ended up being this like wide-open, entertaining game with lots of chances, lots of goals. So overall, I thought it was a really good spectacle. If, if you're somebody that doesn't watch South American football, you read about this all week, you decided to check it out, I thought you came away very satisfied and feeling like it was, it was an exciting, well-spent two hours. As two, two, two. It's not yeah. a good result, though, for uh, Boca. It is not, but keep in mind, no away goals rule. So, you know, if you if you had the away goals rule, River would be sitting pretty right now because nil-nil they'd be going through. Right, right. So instead, another draw by any score sends it to extra time. So River, if they want to avoid extra time, the impetus is just as much on them to, to go forward and try to score in the second leg. You talk about putting it in the mixer. Those guys do not mess around when it comes to putting that ball into that box. I, no. I, I love it. And set pieces, I, I actually thought River had a bunch of set pieces early on. I thought they were going to capitalize. Ultimately, they did, actually, in the, in the final one, I guess, uh, to, to tie it up 2-2. Two to two. I thought it, it was much more entertaining, and the way that you had positioned it, you had made it... I, I thought it was better soccer than, than maybe you had made it out to be. Right, you right. undersold it when it came to the actual Yeah, soccer. no, that's fair. Now, listen, when people talk about the incredible atmosphere of Boca River, they really mean La Bombonera because uh, that stadium is a, is a bandbox. The, the fans right. are on top of the field. Uh, now they go, go to the Monumental on November 24th. And listen, that stadium will be packed and River fans are crazy too, but it's not the same. It, it's, it's got a lot of history to it. It's where Argentina won the World Cup in 1978, but it's more of a cavernous big stadium where the fans are away from the field. So it's not quite as intimidating and exhilarating an atmosphere as La Bombonera. So I think Bo Boca can go there and play fine. They're not going to be that spooked. And so to me, this is still... Very much in the balance. And, and you mentioned uh, no away goals, but it's only for the final series, right? Right, there, right. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of players that caught my eye, I just want to mention this. Uh, River have this playmaker, Pitti Martinez, who it sounds like is going to Atlanta to be the replacement yep. for Almiron. So uh, I thought he played very well. They have this other midfielder, Palacios, who I guess is going to Real Madrid. It sounds like as soon as this final is over, they're going to announce it. And then Boca have a couple of midfielders, Wilmer Barrios, Colombian, who played against the U.S. recently, who I think is very good, and Nandez, this Uruguayan. Both those guys, to me, could go to Europe right now and, and, and help out uh, big clubs in Europe. They're very and good. And on the sidelines, Skiloto, who is rumored yeah. to be coming and, and, point uh, yeah. to Major League Soccer. He's always too. part of the I, conversation. I also love Quintero, but he, he came on actually for P.T. Martinez in the second half. It seems like they have a hard time fitting him into their system there, so he doesn't always start, but I think he's a wonderful player too that deserves another chance in Europe. So, And by the way, one last note on this game. Alex Dowd has found a pretty good article I want to mention. Uh, evidently in Argentina, they had like a radio broadcast of this game that was that was billed as like a calm radio broadcast for people who have heart <laughs> problems. So they played, they drowned out the fans. They played Zen music in the background, and the the broadcaster spoke very softly, and they just described the action without raising their voice at all. Like, oh, okay, there's a goal for River. It's now two two, and <laughs> that was meant for people who wanted to follow the game, but who have heart problems and didn't want to risk, you know, getting so caught up in the emotion. I of love the game. it. I love. It. I mean, because we we hear these stories, and they happen every well, they happen every world. Cup, uh, and they certainly happen when they're big rivalries. Of you know, this this poor person was listening or watching the game and killed over, and just you know, and, and so this is this is a public service that they are doing. Uh, how and it's probably a, a art in in and of itself to be able to do it, where you still convey the excitement that's going on, but in a in a tone and timber that makes people feel <laughs> at ease. <laughs> All right, so we'll end on this. The Major League Soccer playoffs, the, the Final Four is set. Yep. Uh, it'll be Sporting KC against Portland, New York Red Bulls against Atlanta United. What what caught your eye this weekend? What do you think about these matches? Well, first off, we know now that, uh, because we are televising MLS Cup this year, we know now that it either is going to be in Atlanta or it's going to be in New York because they are the higher seeds. I know they're playing each other, but so whoever wins that gets to host uh, MLS Cup because the higher seed, and they are both higher than the other two, uh, Sporting Kansas City and Portland. As far as my predictions are concerned, 75% return rate, which isn't so bad, but of course I didn't go out on a limb predicting uh, the Red Bulls and Atlanta and Sporting Kansas City. The one I did get right uh, wrong was Seattle, who we know didn't go through uh, against Portland. Uh, so you got Portland and Sporting. And as we mentioned, Atlanta and NYCFC. Uh, if I was doing an end of the end of the year most disappointing award, award, it would go to NYCFC, who lost to Atlanta. Atlanta just played them off the field. And this is a team that changed coaches mid-year. Where have you gone, Patrick Vieira? Uh, real disappointing for my pigeons over there in uh, in New York City, and the way that this this season kind of petered out uh, for the New York Red Bulls. They they ran rampant over uh, the Columbus crew, and they showed why they are not only the best team in uh, in this season in terms of the regular season, but historically the best when it comes uh, to the points. They were really, really good, and they gave no quarter. The press from now uh, Chris Armis' team, but, but Jesse Marsh's fingerprints are all over this, uh, was relentless from the first uh, first minute, and I thought they looked really, really good. It makes up a really interesting matchup now between Atlanta and uh, the New York Red Bulls on the east side. And then Sporting Kansas City, they were professional in the way they dispatched of uh, RSL, although RSL was really plucky, and they, they made it a game, but 
really ultimately there was a better team that went uh, that went through. So we got our matchups right now. Uh, we will be televising many of these in the uh, coming weeks. We know there's this weird situation now where we skip uh, <laughs> we skip time with the international break and we come back in a, in a few weeks. Is, is it ideal? No, but it's also something that has happened year after year, and players and teams and fans alike get used to it. It does hurt the momentum because this was a this was a fun week, and you mentioned all the different games that were going on, and then it was punctuated at the end by all of these MLS games. We know that one MLS game was on uh, Thursday, that incredible game, that shootout between uh, Portland and Seattle, which saw Portland go through on penalties or uh, kicks from the spot, and. So it was fun. It was a fun weekend. I think we have four very, very good teams. I think if you're handicapping it right now, I still think that Atlanta uh, would be the odds-on favorite. And if that were to be the case, they would host an MLS Cup in Atlanta with another 70,000 crowd right there with the way that they own that city, with the way that that team and those colors and that brand has been embraced. Uh, That would be wonderful. But one thing that we've learned over the years when it comes to MLS is uh, what we want and what we get are often two, two different things. Uh, so, and look, if it's, if it's in New York, it's in New York with a great Red Bulls team. And as I said, a, a, a legendary Red Bulls team right now. But it's going to be fun to see uh, both of those. Uh, anything else, Mossy, before we head out? That is it. That is it. Uh, what did you do on uh, Veterans Day yesterday? Anything exciting? Uh, no, I was so tired. We had a oh, yes. difficult weekend. Uh, so uh, just relax at you just, home. You just, uh, you just hung out. Well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just counting down the days until Narcos uh, is released <laughs> on Netflix. It's coming up uh, this week. Narcos Mexico. Sure, exactly. A couple of things. Obviously, we record and we live uh, here in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has gone through a hell of a week um, with the, uh, the devastating shooting and then the devastating wildfires that we have seen. And our thoughts and prayers go out to all the people that uh, have been affected by uh, both of those things, and we are thinking about them because it is our neighbors. Uh, there are many of our uh, of our colleagues who live in this wonderful city, this incredibly unique uh, and wonderful city that is Los Angeles. Uh, we mentioned Veterans Day, which is yesterday. Today is Monday. A lot of people have off. Uh, we at Fox Sports are incredibly proud to uh, support and thank all of the men and women out there. Uh, who have served our country. And, you know, in this day and age where regardless of what politics or or what you think our country should be or shouldn't be, I think we can all agree that the men and women who are serving and the men and women that have served us uh, and have provided us with the opportunity to live in what I feel is the greatest country in the world uh, deserve much more than a day. But Uh, certainly yesterday we celebrated that and we continue to celebrate that and give thanks that we have so many, whether it's here in the United States or anywhere around the world, uh, that are protecting us and giving us uh, this incredible uh, opportunity. And all of them that have come before and that that have served us. When it comes to Fox, we have partnered up and supported the mission mission continues. And you will have seen, if you watched any of our television this weekend, uh, all of us with with the pins. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful group out there that uh, empowers veterans and gives veterans uh, opportunity um, and gives them opportunity to do new things within their communities. And it's an honor and privilege for all of us at Fox uh, to support this. And you can find it on missioncontinues.org if you want to uh, check it out. Uh, it is something that is near and dear to all of us, uh, as I said, for all of the men and women uh, that serve us. Oftentimes people uh, will tell me, because I'll say it's just a game. 
and, and it is just a game. It's something that we love. It's something that we have a passion for. Uh, it's something that employs us and feeds us, and we, we recognize that and uh, respect that. But we also recognize that compared to other things that people do, it pales in comparison, and it is uh, and it is just a game, one that we all, as I said, take very very seriously at times. But uh, perspective is in order. Whether you are the most fervent and, and incredible fan of the game, or whether you're just coming to it, um, it is a bunch of people running around a field kicking a ball. It can change the way we feel. It can change history. It can change a, a lot of things. Um, but ultimately, when it comes down to it, family and friends uh, and experiences and uh, safety and your country and all of those different things uh, are much more important. And we sometimes need to remind ourselves, I need to remind myself uh, at times. It doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to talk about it and scream and yell uh, because that's what we do with sports. And sometimes they are a wonderful diversion from uh, the real world. But the real world ultimately is what matters. And I want to thank you for tuning in each and every week uh, to this podcast because without you, it's just me and Mossy sitting around yelling and screaming at each other. So thank you for not letting it just be that. And thank you for uh, being a part of this podcast. And uh, we shall go further. Uh, so tune in next week for another episode of the State of the Union podcast. Anything to say before we go, Mossy? Nope. All right. Thank you very much. Size the day.